Welcome, everybody. It is episode 13 of the Fantasy Alarm Hockey Podcast. Uh, I am Andrew Dewhurst. As always, I am joined by Chris Murray. How are you doing tonight, Chris? Not too bad, not too bad. And what about you, Andrew? Oh, can't complain. Uh, you know, it's it's Sunday night. Uh, there were this NHL scheduling gods were friendly to those who wanted to watch hockey today. So, you know, what more can you really ask for? Can't blame you. Can't blame. Apparently, it was Hockey Day in America today. Yeah, I think I heard that earlier in the day. I feel like that. I I thought it had already happened. Uh, but I guess that was Hockey Day in Canada. I'm not certain why why we have these things, but we do. And at least on those days, we get hockey scheduled all day. So I'll take it. I can definitely get on board with hockey all day. That's that's like 100 percent always every time. They could the, the NHL should be doing this regardless. But you know, if we're going to dedicate certain times to it, well, hey. Let's do it. Yeah, like there's there's no reason on the weekend not to have games at like, you know, noon Eastern, three p.m., like five, then you're seven, eight, nine, ten. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. No, no, no. We need a seven, seven thirty, eight, eight thirty. <laughs> like just stagger a couple of games, NHL, please, for the for the the gens like us. Who are just wanting to watch hockey and we have DFS money tied to this and betting and whatnot, just like stagger a couple of games here and there. There's no reason every game should be an intermission because then I I don't know about you, Andrew, but then my girlfriend's like, hey, can we watch something else? And then I have to, then this becomes a conflict. So if there's hockey rolling, right, she's not going to realize that the jerseys have changed and the scores change, <laughs> you know. It's not the second period anymore. She's not going to notice that. So if we can just keep hockey rolling all the time, that would, I, I, I would appreciate that very much. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. Like, one, why not let people watch more games, right? Like, oh, everyone's in intermission all at the same time. Did, did, we, did we need to do this? Like, it's not 1990. Everyone can watch all of the games if they want to. You sell a package to allow this National Hockey League. Let people enjoy it instead of being like, oh, well, this one went to commercial. Let me, oh, that one's an oh, and that one, oh, all the games are in commercial at the same time. Oh, what do you know? T TV timeouts happen at the same time. <laughs> Intermissions happen at the same time. Who would have thought? Anyways, uh, we got a few things to talk about this week. Um, going to get things going here. Uh, I guess I'll throw you the softball to, to get started on this one, Chris. Uh, how long were you going to get this Brandon Gallagher for? Uh, he's gotten hot re recently. Uh, I think it was six points in the last three games. Um, he's always crushing the hits, always giving you the shots, but the points have largely seemed to have disappeared this year. Uh, so is this like benefit of the coaching change? Like what should we be expecting from, uh, from Brandon Gallagher moving forward? I think we know what we're always going to get from Brendan Gallagher, and that is a player who's going to work hard. He's going to go to the net. He's going to, you know, stick his nose where it hurts kind of, right? If you're going to the front of the net against players, you know, defensemen who are regularly bigger than him, tougher, just pushing him around. Gallagher's made a living off being in front of the net. And I don't, again, that's not going to change here, right? He can, he can score goals. We know that, right? 
I mean, last season was a little bit different, right? They only played 59 games and only had 22. But years before that, he had 33 goals and 31. So he's a 30-goal scorer in the NHL. And like you said, he's going to throw, you know, hits. He's going to block a couple of shots. He does everything. I think this comes back to um, this line being dominant as they should. So if Philip Deneau starts to get, you know, the wheels turning here and he starts to pick up assists, he's not scoring goals, but hey, I mean, Montreal is convinced that they want Philip Deneau on the top line, and he's going to continue to stay there until, I don't know, he breaks a leg or insults somebody's mom. For Thomas Tatar, it's, you know, trying to find his game as well. When this line is clicking, and when we're watching Toffoli and Josh Anderson, that Toffoli and Anderson Kotkaniemi line against Winnipeg was absolute fire. Like, they came out and they were doing stuff. So when you have your supporting cast that kind of goes out there and does what they need to do, now you have to respect three lines, right, in Montreal. That gives Gallagher and the rest of them a little bit more space. I don't think anybody should have been giving up on him to start with. I think the points of late kind of helped bring him there. And he does have 10 goals in 23 games. So it's not it's not terrible, right? He, he hasn't been off to a bad start. It's just been a little bit, you know, slower than what we're expecting here. And, again, he does have... The six points in the last three games it was nice to see Montreal break out against Winnipeg. It sucked because I played Connor Hellebuck, <laughs> but hey, if I can trade off one night of Connor Hellebuck for the Montreal Canadiens revamping their offense and getting it going again, I'll I'll gladly take it. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I'm sure there are leagues where people kind of gave up a little bit on, on Gallagher just because Deneau hasn't been good and Tatar's been been slow. Uh, but yeah, I mean, his shooting percentage is three uh, percent above his his career average, uh, so that's positive. Um, he always, uh, I mean, the hits and shots are always there. So if you play in that type of league, you know, he, he's you know he, he's undroppable in that type of league because he's so steady. Um, I mean, the concern that usually comes with him, and although this is probably in some ways unwarranted because he's a few years out from this is like, is he going to stay healthy? Right. Um, I mean, you look at six, 2015, 2016, where he missed significant time. I mean, just because of how he plays and he isn't the biggest player, right. He's uh, uh, listed at five, nine, which probably means he's about five, seven. Um, and he does go into the dirty area. So he's, He's going to get worn down at times, but um, yeah, I mean, he, the power play points aren't, aren't what they were in the past. Um, well, but, I mean, the power play power is not play what it was. Yeah. That's the what, either, that's the right? problem, right? Montreal's power play is an absolute dog fire. It just like nothing happens here. They have, they have two units who do very little of anything. And, and I ranted about this on my own podcast when they had fired, uh, Claude Julian, because I was saying, hey, there, like a lot of things has have to happen here, and specifically for Montreal, when you look at their power play, like I was going through it, and of the top ten teams in the league, right, like a whole bunch of them just roll out their five best players, as you should, yeah. <laughs> right. If you're on the power play, you have one objective, and that is to score goals, right. So, j- just quickly, like the Toronto Maple Leafs have the best power play in the league here. And it's no surprise they run the five best players that they can out there. Here's an absolute shocker to the entire world. As as garbage as the Buffalo Sabres are, they have the third best power play in the league. 
right? They can't score goals five on five, but the very little goals that they do score, they score on the power play. Here's their top power play units. Sam Reinhardt, Jack Eichel, Taylor Hall, Rosman Stalin, and Victor Olofsson. Victor Olofsson only scores goals, by the way, on the power play. That's, right. that's all he wants to do, right? We talked about this before. But again, nobody would argue that for Buffalo, those are their five best players, right? Again, you right. can give or take, I guess, if you want Aristotle. But those are their five best players. They play together on the top power play unit and just go. Just do what you got to do. Run what you got to run and just, like, figure it out. You, you, you five are the best ones. Do what you have to do. And my favorite example is always the Washington Capitals, who, by the way, are top ten in the league. They're sixth overall. Their top unit, TJ Oshie, Backstrom, Verana, Carlson, Ovechkin. You can argue that maybe, you know, you can swap Verana out for Evgeny Kuznetsov, but it's been a tough year for Evgeny Kuznetsov. So, again, those are your five best players. They are on the power play. Daily faceoff has Ovechkin on both power play units. So, again, Ovi's not coming off the ice, You're right? right? He's the greatest goal scorer of the 21st century, in my opinion. He's well on his way, I think, to breaking Gretzky's goal-scoring record. He's kind of slowed down a little bit here, but he's still got some time to go. Like, he, he scores goals. So why not just leave him out there to do that? And then when I look at Montreal's power play, I can't tell which one is the first unit and which one is the second unit because your top unit has Yoel Armia and Jonathan Drouin. And Yoel Armia does very, very little, and Jonathan Drouin doesn't really score goals. Right? You got Shea Weber there, who is not your best defenseman. And then you got Nick Suzuki and Tyler Toffoli just being there, right? So. Yeah. Again, nothing really happens here. Your second unit has Corey Perry on it, which I don't know why. And then you got Gallier, Tatar, Petrie, and Josh Anderson, which, again, not bad, but this is the second unit coming out. So yeah. in my mind, here's here's Montreal's top power play unit, okay? It's it's really, really simple. You put the Foley and Josh Anderson together on the ice. They're your two best players. Let them play. You know, Anderson can be the net front presence if you want Right, Nick Suzuki's got to take a face-off, so you would do that. I would then put, you can either pick here, uh, Brennan Gallagher, uh, no, sorry, you would put Jeff Petrie because you need a defenseman to facilitate the puck. And, well, Shea Weber just claps bombs, right? And he's doing very little of that. So if for him to be effective, he's got to be on the power play. So you got to put him there. So that would be my my top five there if I'm looking at I'm looking at Toffoli, Suzuki, Josh Anderson, Shea Weber, Jeff Petrie. It's no problem using two defensemen if they're two of your best players here, right? That's right. it. Jeff Petrie has done very well this season, top defenseman in the league in points. Like I said, you have to respect Shea Weber's shot. And then you also, by the way, have to respect Tyler Toffoli and Josh Anderson who are doing things. So, again, like, put your best players on the ice. Enough with Yoel Armia, enough with Corey Perry. They don't have to be net front presence because they don't know what to do when the puck gets there anyways. Right again, no offense to them; they're really good players, but I don't know very many power play units that have their fourth line guy on the ice. <laughs> yeah, there's not going to be many of those in the league. Um, I mean, there's going to be a handful of them, just because a handful, but, and those are the exceptions. Right. I mean, just looking at the power plays, like the top power or the worst power play units across the league right now. Right, we have. Uh, Believe it or not, Minnesota with the worst power play in the league. They're more efficient. They, Minnesota scores the only team in the league 
that scores more often five on five than than they do on the power play. Um, six point nine percent. That number's got to go up. That's that's crazy. Uh, but there's some teams in the bottom ten that you wouldn't expect. So like St. Louis twenty one. Uh, Tarasenko came back today. We'll see what that changes. Uh, Vegas, Pittsburgh, uh, San Jose, who seems to score goals at will, just can't keep them out of their own net. Uh, Columbus, who has, you know, Patrick Laine, how are you, like, and two very good, like, offensive defensemen. Uh, the New York Rangers, who, like, uh, I kind of can buy without, like, Panarin, but, like, much of these numbers would include Panarin. So, um, I mean, we're still talking relatively short, small sample sizes, right? Like we're talking 20 to 26 games here. Yeah, 25, 26 games. So like, you know, a team like Vegas could score like on their next, we'll say like 50% for, for two weeks and suddenly, you know, they're... 18.2% is now like well into the twenties and you're not talking about it anymore, but uh, I don't remember what, what do you remember what uh, Edmonton's pace was last year was on, they were on pace to have the best in the last best ever possibly. I mean, Edmonton Toronto's was at, operating at what, like 30% for the entire season, almost close. Like and they're that. top nine, by the way, this season. I mean, we know Edmonton can score goals. They've done yeah. very little of that lately, but we know that they have at least two players who know how that goes, right? And again, the same thing for Edmonton. When you look at their top unit and you look at their second unit, you don't care about the second unit. It doesn't matter. With the exception yeah. of James Neal, who, I mean, it's James Neal, right? You have Connor McDavid, Nugent Hopkins, Tyson Berry, Leon Dreisaitl on the ice. You should remove James Neal and put, I don't know, Kelly Yamamoto in that spot. and That would make sense. But again... Your top power play unit, you know exactly who is on it. And it's your four and a half best players on the ice. Yeah. And just just go. Just figure it out. Just score goals. Yeah. That's what the power play is there for. The same thing like in overtime, right? What was it? La like Montreal's last overtime loss to I, I don't Montreal's not won a game after 60 minutes, right? So in the shootout or Overtime, and it's not surprising, right? When you watch defensive specialists come out to take the opening face-off, right? When Pierre Luc Dubois scores, well, I can't remember what day this was, but Dubois, uh, Dubois, Ehlers, and Connor were on the ice in the last minute. Paul Maurice sends out all three. Yeah, it would have been Thursday, I think. I, I that sounds about correct. And I'm looking at it, right? I I didn't even watch this game, so I watched back the highlights. And when I saw that, I'm like, man, what would I give to have a coach? Be like, you know what? Fuck it. 3-3 three, three in overtime. Like, it's it's three-on-three three in overtime, okay? Just let your best players go. You well, already have a point, yeah. so you can't lose it. And the luxury, the luxury for the Jets here is that that's not even their best three players. No, it's not. <laughs> and it's still pretty good. Yeah. Like, I'm watching I'm watching Montreal, right? You got Jeff Petrie on the ice, and that's fine, right? Yeah, you can't best offense I can't remember the other two who were on the ice because they're forgettable at most cases. Yeah, it's probably Deneau and maybe... Who knows? Yeah. Who knows, right? Someone but knows. again, imagine stepping out on the ice and watching just the opposing team send out their most dominant players 
And then Montreal sending out, I don't know, Philip Deneau, Paul Byron, and who knows who else. Yeah. Like, that doesn't install fear in any... Yeah, that doesn't install fear in anybody's eyes. They're looking at that going, okay, well, we're going to take this over. Again, Montreal doesn't have a win in extra time. So whatever you're doing is clearly not working. And it's, again, it's not hard to figure out. You don't have to be rocket science to figure out that. Just put your best players on the ice. That's it. If Toffoli and Josh Anderson are your best players, like just, just throw them out there. And if you need a centerman, throw Suzuki out there. That's it. Figure it out. Some, yeah, or do something. Like, yeah, I mean, if you need to bring out um, Deneau to win the faceoff, fine. Bring out Deneau to win the faceoff and then take, like, send him back to the bench and put somebody else out there. Here's the problem, though. If you lose the faceoff, well, then now but, you're like, you lose now the faceoff. You have fine, at least, but at least, like, he's an extremely competent defensive player, right? Like, Get the puck back. Get him off the ice. That's not like that's not the worst situation in the world here. I'm um, just saying, like overtime is about puck possession now, right? right? Remember at the beginning when this showed up, teams were just track meeting each other back and forth. <laughs> now they've kind of figured it out. They're like, hey, let's just possess the puck, and that'll be fine, right? So again, you play man on man inside of your own zone, and you just try not to lose your dude, and everything will be somewhat fine, right? Yeah. So. Again, I just, I'm irritated when I watch Montreal in overtime. Like, when they go, when, when they get to that point, I'm like, man, that's that's not the place I want them to be, right? Like, even the Chicago, the Chicago Blackhawks, by the way, have the second best power play in the NHL. And they are, like, they have a massive amount of injuries. Massive amount of injuries. And they might be the only exception to the rule here. Because they have Ryan Carpenter on the top power play with Carl Soderberg, and then you got your normal kids, you know, Patrick Kane, Alex DeBrincat, and Boyquist. So you're like, okay, fine. Now, is it working? Sure. But the number of teams that run this setup and have it actually work are like slim to none. Yeah, Toronto's setup isn't that much different, right? Like, they're typically, I mean, they've used like Wayne Simmons on the top power play, they've used, uh, I mean, they use Thornton on the top power play. I mean, they want a net front presence, and, and I get that part of it. And like, hey, I don't need my best player out there for a net front presence. I I just need somebody who, you know, knows how to tip the puck, who who's capable of not just getting like shoved around by the by the defenseman. So like, no real issue there, uh, and it works, right? Like that, I'm sure. Not that I, I don't watch a lot of Blackhawks games, but uh, I'm sure that's the role of Ryan Carpenter. It's like, here you go, stand in front of the net. We're going to shoot the puck now. You just keep hanging out there. When you have Austin Matthews, John Tavares, Mitch Marner on right. one unit, like, good things are going to happen, right? Right. And, I mean, ultimately, that's Montreal's problem, right? Like, Montreal ultimately has a skill problem, uh, and it shows up in the power play, right? Like, there are teams in the bottom 10 who don't have skill problems but have bad power plays. That happens. That's typically a coaching problem um, because, it, you know, you need some creativity. You need to figure out how you're going to open the ice. Like, there's no excuse for Vegas having a bottom 10 power play when you have, you know, you have Shea Theodore, you have Alex Petrangelo, you have Mark Stone, you have uh, Max Pacioretty, right? Like, I get you don't have a star center, but... Like, you've got other really good pieces there. Like, Alex Tuck has 12 goals right now. 
you've got Jonathan Marsha. So you've got like Riley Smith, who's also capable of scoring goals. So uh, getting off the Canadians here a bit, uh, taking a look at players that have been playing well in the last week. Uh, it looks like uh, Ricard Raquel has uh, brought himself back into existence. Is it possible that uh, Maxime Comtois is not the only person in Anaheim who can score? I mean, I think it's interesting. He played well, right, Ricard Raquel, and he's done what he's what he's needed to do to be, I guess, relevant. But, I mean, the problem with the Anaheim Ducks is they are the Anaheim Ducks, right? So things are going to happen. I will say this, though, for Ricard Raquel. In the last game, right, where he had three points, yeah. he played just shy of 22 minutes. And in the last three games prior to that, he's played – Again, just shy of 19 minutes. So he's getting ice time. Yeah. And as his ice time has continued to increase there, he's starting to get, right, he's starting to collect points. Not that 17 and 19 minutes is good, but if he's seeing a healthy amount of ice time, at some point it's going to translate into points. And we've seen him shoot the puck a lot as well. And that's a key factor here for a player. If, if, if you're not shooting the puck then you're not creating offensive chances. You can't score goals if you're not shooting. Again, if I look at the Anaheim Ducks, they've lost, I mean, game after game after game after game here. They beat Colorado uh, because Philip Grubauer wasn't starting here. But for <laughs> Ricard Raquel, I guess, if you're looking, I mean, again, he plays for the Anaheim Ducks. So we have to limit our expectation as to what this team can do. But if he's available on your waiver wire and he's sitting, he's, he's relatively available here. I think he's a really good player. He's got dual position eligibility as well on Yahoo. So that kind of figures out, you know, that simplifies that part for you. And he's playing on the top power play unit as well. So he's getting the opportunity to showcase his skill, which is what you want in a player, right? You want him to, you know, see those top line minutes or whatnot. He's not there yet, but again, I mean, I don't necessarily need him to play on the top line. I'd like it, but if he's not there, we'll deal with it. We'll give Troy Terry the opportunity to play with Ryan Getzlaff, who came to life yesterday in overtime. Shout out to him for doing something. But I wouldn't go out of my way to add him unless I'm in a deeper format where I think I need to because, I mean, he's not blocking shots. He's going to get his hits here and there. And again, he's just on a really bad team as well but if the ice time sticks there and he can continue to kind of rack up some points i think he's viable in deeper formats definitely yeah i mean i'm seeing him at like 27 percent rostered on espn uh i'm pretty sure he's probably under 50 percent on on yahoo that's probably too to be exact on yahoo yeah that's too low right like we're talking about a player who is got Points in each of his last five, multiple points in three of his last five, uh, no less than three shots in any of those games. Like, and he hits. So there's not really a format where you're playing where that's not useful in this period of time, right? He's got he's a player with history. Uh, he's been a 30 goal scorer multiple times, and I mean. Uh, we'll we'll maybe talk about this a little bit later, but he's uh, he's a player who could get moved, right? Like 
he's in a bad situation today, but that doesn't mean he's always going to be in Anaheim, right? Like he's uh, coming close to his free agency years. Uh, he's a player that teams probably would value to some extent. And I'm he's also in his prime, by the way. He's yeah, going to turn 28 this year. Like, he's not old. I feel like he's been around a while. But, like you said, he's a like he's he's already scored 30 goals in his career. He gets 69 points back in 2017-2018, best season. And, again, I mean, he plays for the Anaheim Ducks, right? So, like, there's only so much he can do. Yeah. But, to your point as well, if he gets moved somewhere... And gets an opportunity to play in a much like any other team, with the exception of the Detroit Red Wings, is a better offense than Anaheim. I I would make the I would actually go out go out and say that if you took Raquel and put him on a line with uh, with Mantha and um, Larkin, that's a really good line. Like yeah. that's way better than anything you have on. Good luck Anaheim getting Jeff right Belashel to do something that's sensible, smart. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the other thing to note about Raquel is that, like, like sometimes you just got to look at those shooting percentage numbers, right? Like, 4.9% is worst ever is 8.1, and that was the year before. Yeah. Like, like shooting percentage is definitely up. really, really low here, right? So you have to take into some correlation that at some point it's going to correct itself, and he's going right. to start... If he continues the volume that he's at, the puck's going to go in the net at some point. Let's for, let's not forget, right? Anaheim is in the same division as San Jose, so <laughs> right. I mean, if you get to play Martin Jones and Devin Dubnik a couple of times, you know, puck's going to go into the net at some point. So again, I think there's a lot to like here with Raquel, and I think if you need a winger to be part of your team, I, I think this is more of a speculative ad as well. If he gets, I would like to see him get moved. And I think if the Anaheim Ducks can get something for him or they don't think they're going to re-sign him, send him off to a team that can definitely use some goal scoring, right? Or a team that can use at oh, least sure. yeah. a winger, well, i.e. the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, I mean, he's physical. Um, like, he's a useful playoff player. I think he's I had think. points in every playoff game he's played in. Um, he's been, like, he's been really, he's been really good. And I think people just forget about Raquel because he's an well, Anaheim. Yeah, he's an Anaheim. Why are, like, he's, you're not watching the Anaheim Ducks, right? You're watching their game because you've stacked the goalie against yeah. them, and you want to make <laughs> sure that they generate enough shots so that your goalie, yeah. if he gives up a goal, well, you know, he's not going the other way here. For sure. I mean, uh, I'm just pulling up his salary, and I mean, Anaheim can get something for him. Like he's at three point seven for this year and next. Right, like three point eight is, I guess, the the cap hit here. Like that's that's pretty pretty solid for for the production to be getting out of that. Like that's like Toronto could find a way to put to make that happen. Like if they could just do a straight like, hey, we'll give you a William Nylander and the rest of his contract, and we'll take Raquel back for two years. Like that's yeah. uh, trade Willie Nylander like that straight up one for one to get to put another essentially like four million extra and out it from under the cap on that team yep absolutely gonna make okay. that deal i mean you're not taking nothing here right taking probably a a little bit grittier player um you're getting you know a little less skill but 
a team doesn't lack for skill. So, I, yeah, I would do that. Save three or four million a year. For... That's fair. That's fair. Um, keeping on on that theme of, of players, would you add uh, Martin Nietzsche? Uh, has really gotten a going this year uh, for Carolina. I think it's still a similar situation. I think people forget about Carolina in spite of them being a really good team. Uh, that team has survived with no goalie, more or less. I mean, we've seen uh, good performances here and there from Reimer. We've seen uh, Nedeljovic play better in the last week or so. Uh, but Nietzsche's has been kind of s- sneaky, really good. That's a team that can run three lines without too much issue. Um, I feel like he's a player who should be added everywhere right now, at least. Uh, any, any, what are your thoughts on, on Martin Nietzsche's right now? Seven I'll points in his last four. Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, he, he's getting top six opportunities, right? So anytime a player plays in the top six, you kind of want to make sure that you get him. A piece of it and when i look at the right wing side specifically in carolina like they don't have much that is really going to stand in his way right two will turn yeah. day to day so i mean it is what I think it he's is. back now even if he's back i expect him to take the top line spot right with sebastian aho mm-hmm. warren fogel will move out of that spot but again it's not jesper foss or jordan martin who's going to take his spot so i feel like you know nature's has that that spot locked in here with Vincent Trocek, who's played very, very well this season as well. So there's there's a lot to like there, especially Carolina. Carolina's got some depth here. You look at their lineup and you're like, man, this doesn't look good, right? From a DFS perspective, when you're trying to stack this team, oh, you're like, man, worst. I absolutely hate it because, I mean, I feel like they're bounced, but they're doing stuff. They're scoring goals and they're being productive. I will say this, though, about Nature's. If I'm looking, he's he has collected points, but if out of those last three games that he's played. We're going to exclude the one against Florida here because I don't have the numbers for that. He hasn't, he's played over uh, 15 minutes just one time. So yeah. he he's going around here. And again, ice time with a player is always something you want to monitor because again, if he's not on the ice, there's no way he's getting points, right? He's also seeing second power play unit time. Fine. Second power play unit, I guess is there, but again, they're not, you know, they're not much. Carolina has one power play unit, and then the second one comes off because the first one is gas, and they didn't score a goal. But at this point, if you need again, if you need someone in a deeper format, right? He's his 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 ownership has gone up over the last seven days, so it's gone up nineteen percent. He's at thirty eight percent owned, so people are taking notice of him, and they feel like he can be added, which again is kind of kind of wild here that. You know, Nature's is being considered so heavily here, but we just forget about Ricard Raquel and like, yeah, he's again <laughs> a player who East Coast bias. Yeah, I mean, again, Ricard Raquel plays in Anaheim, so that's unfortunate here. I will say this about Nature's though: he does have a fifteen percent career shooting percentage, and he's currently shooting nine. So even in this, even in a season where he scored sixteen goals, right, 2019-2020 last season. Uh, he was shooting 18%. So this is a player who, at least when he does shoot the puck, I mean, he's scoring goals. He's not shooting enough, right? That's kind of the problem is if he shoots more, will that lead to more goals? Well, you tend to believe if a shooting percentage stays as it is, then yes. But again, he's he's not seeing he's not seeing a ton of 
ice time and regulation. He is seeing a ton this season, right? He's, he's just shy of 17, but recent trends have seen him just kind of dip a little bit here. It's something that I do, like, he's not seeing as much ice time as he was at the beginning of the season. That's something that kind of just sets me back here. So if I had to pick between, let's say, Natchez and Raquel, I mean, it's Raquel, and I don't have to think twice about it. That's the player I want to own. Again, bad team. Yeah. Doesn't matter. He's a, at least in my mind, I think he's more talented than Martin Natchez is. But if that's your consolation prize, is adding, you know, Natchez, then sure, go ahead. Nothing wrong with that either. Yeah, it's interesting just looking at, like, the average time on ice for, for Carolina. It's kind of like... It's spread uh, out. Like Brindamore hates his wingers. Like, Nietzsche is at... Uh, this is over the last week. Nietzsche is at 14 and a half minutes. Uh, Niederreiter's at basically 14 and a half minutes. Feshnikov's at 18 minutes. Fast is at 15 and a half minutes. I, I don't understand that, but so, maybe it, that might be penalty kill time. Uh, maybe. I guess so. I mean, that... Like Brock McGinn's at 15 right? minutes. Like Ajo's at 19. Trocheck's at 18 and a half. Jordan Stoller at 19. Like those guys are. Uh, I guess I haven't watched enough Carolina games, but I'm like, you must be playing like Trocheck was the Ajo uh, some amount of the time, and some of that's probably going to be power play as well. So I have not. I have not been watching them either, by the way. Um. So our apologies to any. Hurricanes fans out there, but um, they are worth watching. Like this is a really good team. They beat, I believe they beat Florida again tonight. Uh, they're like nineteen one and one or something. Or, sorry, not nineteen nine one and one. Maybe ten one and one at home now. Uh, look at the actual number of their eight one and one. So yeah, I think they're now nine one and one at home. Uh, so yeah, that's a solid team. They're now seven and three in the last ten. They've won five in a row. So. Probably do for a loss, but uh, for the time being, uh, yeah, team to be reckoned with in the the central division. Um, last one here. We're now uh, about four weeks out from the trade deadline, uh, which in some respects actually can put us uh, as little as two weeks out from the trade deadline. Uh, if you factor in if teams have to cross the border, uh, they're going to lose two weeks, so teams may t- may factor that in when they start making deals. Um, we talked about Raquel. Uh, I mean, I think there's been lots of rumor of uh, Nashville looking to sell. Um, T.S. Ackholm, we've heard some Philip Forsberg rumors. Uh, any any players out there that, that you're seeing uh, as primed to be moved and uh, maybe worth maybe an early buy or, or pick up? Uh, as we start heading into, into, I guess in some respects, people are thinking to be a, a slow trade deadline, but I think it's just going to be happen over a longer period of time. Right. I think so as well. And it's going to be interested to see how teams go about this, right? With, I mean, players coming to Canada who have to quarantine and whatnot. We saw with Pierre-Luc Dubois, the kind of, you know, time that it takes and then, you know, get a player up and running afterwards and whatnot. Um, I'm looking at everybody in Buffalo because I think Buffalo's is going to, at one point, they got to put a grenade in this and just blow it up. Like, it's not working. They went out, they got players. 
you know, they signed Taylor Hall to a one-year deal. They got Eric Stahl, and it's just, like, it's not working. They're not going to be able to trade Jeff Skinner unless a miracle happens. No, and no they way. Keep money yeah. going the other way. So they're just going to have to live with that contract and just, you know, digest it for what it is. But the Sabres, again, I mean, they looked pretty lifeless today against against the Islanders and a player I'm specifically looking at is Taylor Hall. Like Taylor Hall might be like, Hey, just get me out of here. Like it's not working. I'm not scoring goals. I'm not doing like he signed a one year deal to play with Jack Eichel. So he could, you know, pop off and then get his big contract that he's looking for. Well, he's not going to get it. If he continues on this pace, he's got two goals a season. If the pace continues, he finishes with six. So if I'm Taylor Hall, I said, Hey, get me out of this terrible city slash team. And send me to any other team will do at this point, right? And I've seen a lot of criticism for Taylor Hall recently. I don't think that's fair as well. Buffalo's a terrible team. We knew this. We were all shocked that he decided to go there. But when you think about it, right, playing with Jack Eichel is, you know, it's not a bad thing. And Buffalo should be better than what they are. Yeah. I think Rolf Kruger's the problem, right? He's got a whole bunch of mess there. Your top six is set. Just play them, man. Just go out and just let these guys play. I mean, again, everybody's trying to figure out what's wrong with Jeff Skinner. But when you're playing with Curtis Lazar and Riley Shahan, nothing's going to happen. Now, granted, Jeff Skinner scored a goal today. It took him a full calendar year to be able to do that. But, I mean, for Buffalo, it's just I, – I don't know if they'll actually trade Jack Eichel unless Eichel says, hey, I don't really want to be here. But I think players like Eric Stahl – Right, Taylor Hall also being another one, right? You, you know he's going to be a pending UFA, so you can maybe get some value there as well. I'd be interested to see if they, you know, move Sam Reinhardt as, as part of any deal as well going out. I don't think they'll move other players, like let's say Victor Olsen or Dylan Cousins. I think they'll hold on to those yeah. players and whatnot. Any of their bottom six, honestly, they can just trade or whatnot. If they get anything that's worth it, you should just move these players out of the lineup. Um, but a team I'm also looking at that I would want to see what they do with the Edmonton Oilers. There's no secret in Edmonton that they kind of need some support in their top six because their bottom six isn't going to contribute, right? And I think they could probably use another, or at least some winger to do something. Nothing against Kaylor Yamamoto and Jesse Puyarvi, Dominic Cahuma, but they're, I mean, they're just missing something. They need some depth here and they don't have it. Now, what can Edmonton do? I don't know, but for, for Edmonton, the case is really that, like, they have a chance to make the playoffs here, right? They really do, because this this North division is pretty weak when you think about it, right? You have Toronto and Winnipeg who are going to make the playoffs easy. Edmonton's hanging around there, but, I mean, Mike Smith is playing out of his mind, and there's a whole lot of stuff happening here. Again, we can just discredit the Ottawa Senators and the Vancouver Canucks. They really don't have the team to keep pace here. Calgary is just there. I, I think Calgary is the wild card at that point, right? And Montreal is the same thing. They, if, if they can just win games and keep up, this is a case of there's five teams that are fighting for a playoff spot and four of them make it. And I could see Edmonton being on the outside looking in if they don't figure it out, right? They're a much better team on the road, which is shocking, but actually possible. And like I said, they could use a little bit of help up front, I guess, to give Dreisaitl and, and McDavid a little bit of support. And who knows? If they can add a defenseman, that'd be really good. But that's, I guess that's dreaming in color right now. Yeah, I mean, the the problem Edmonton has is that they, they have no cap space. Um, like, they'd have to get somebody to take on James Neal, 
who's at like 5.75 for the next three years. That's a tough sell. Uh, unless you're like getting Jeff Skinner in return, um, who makes more than that, which means they can't do it. Right. I mean, maybe so, Buffalo eats money going the other way, right? Yeah, Buffalo that's, really, I like how much money would you eat if you're Buffalo to get rid of that contract? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> like to get something, like, I guess it's a matter of like, are you just getting rid of the contract or are you trying to get something in return? I think teams that have cap space, it might be, again, it's There's it's just difficult. no teams that have cap space, though. That's the problem is that, like, the teams that have cap space aren't taking that on, right? Like, well, they the don't teams want with cap to, space right? are, like, the Kings, the Red Wings, the Devils, the Senators. Right. Right. Florida has $3.2 million, so they, like, they could be in play on Taylor Hall because they can, they can take probably almost take that contract, but they yeah, would but have... Yeah, but Florida's not spending any money, right? Let's be honest. Well, they're a playoff team. They're playing pretty well. You could see them like, hey, let's go make a move. Like, let's... like. I think they get to have, like, fans in the seats to some capacity, right? It's Florida. There's no rules in Florida. Uh, Carolina's got $2.2 million. Uh, Nashville's going to sell. Arizona has $2 million. That's not a fit. They're probably going to sell. Boston's got almost two million. They need a defenseman. Uh, that's not going to be a good fit. Uh, and like otherwise, like you've got to trade a bad contract, right? So like for Edmund in Edmonton's situation, you know they could look at taking like they just getting taking on Taylor Hall wouldn't work, right? They would have to give up. They trade off Neil. They'd have to give up probably like a um, either like a first or a collection of picks in exchange for like the ex like buffalo eating the other two million bucks right so like it, that's it's just a tough sell and with teams being really probably gun shy with like hey we're not making any we're really losing money this year uh i think taylor hall's stuck he's gonna be stuck in buffalo they're gonna have to figure this out if they're gonna move eichel it's gonna have to happen in the off season when more teams can be involved and if you have to move Michael, you might as well just like just sell the team at that point, right? Like you've got a franchise player who doesn't want to play for you. Like you're doing something wrong. There's no like I agree, Rolf Kruger's gotta be the problem here. You know, way too much talent on this team. Like they're more or less like nine deep, right? When you like I get like Cody Eakin's not a star, but Cody Eakin's a really solid like third line player. Yeah, he's playing on the third line. You don't have to expect much right. out of him. You just like have a pulse. But like you got like, and not only do you have Skinner on the fourth line, fine. I get that you don't like. That's a bad contract. You got Kyle Poso in your third line too. Like, what have you done with your money? Stop doing this. They're two seven and two at home, right? They're not winning. Only New Jersey is worse at home, and that's absolutely shocking. New Jersey has been dreadful of late like they won today good for them but they're two nine and one at home they haven't figured it out this division i mean was a a division of death to start with but i mean just looking at them try to figure this out like they're nowhere close this like the buffalo's 23 games into the season and that's it like like this team's not going anywhere unless you find a way to magically 
I don't know, start winning games. You'd have to beat a ton of really good teams ahead of you to do yeah. this. And I just don't really think it's they're going to be able to do it. No, they, they can't do it, right? They got absolute. I mean, the New York Islanders haven't lost at home yet in regulation. And they're just, I mean, they just made quick work of Buffalo here. Buffalo didn't look good. They put up a late surge. But, I mean, by then it's already way too late for this team, right? And there's nothing that really changes for them. I think at some point, you just got to, I don't know, if, if, if I'm Buffalo, I just, I, I try to get something. Like, Taylor Hall's going to leave in the offseason, yep. right? Like, he's not signing, he, he's not going to be like, hey, I'm resigning here, unless Buffalo throws the same amount of money at him, and Buffalo's looking at him going, well, no, right? So, right. To, to me, he's leaving, so you got to get something versus nothing. And I think other GMs are going to be aware of this pretty quickly, looking at the Buffalo Sabres record, Taylor Hall's production and saying, hey, I'm not going to give you face value on what you want. You're probably going to have to sell short here and say, hey, I'll take what I can get for him. And again, it sucks, but I mean, Buffalo is just, man, they are just dog water. Whole. Yeah, if I'm Buffalo, I'm like, you know what? <laughs> we'll eat half the salary. We'll make this number work for you. And then in return, we want like a 2022 first rounder because I, I would just avoid probably next year's draft because it doesn't <laughs> it's full of like all you need to know about this draft coming up is that it looks like there could be like six defensemen taking the top 10 and a goalie in there too like that's that's not where you want top five picks so um yeah buffalo is buffaloing right the the missing the playoff streak is going to continue. Um, I don't know what they're going to do here with, with Taylor Hall. Uh, yeah, I think you're probably right. I think they do ultimately eat the contract for the sake of moving him. <laughs> um, but I don't know what the path forward is. Oh, it's right. not you gotta, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, you got you got to fire Ralph Kruger. You got to figure the rest of this out. Um, because yeah, otherwise you are at risk of like losing a generational talent who you just signed long term like you can't just trade jack eichel like you're not going to get face value back you're going to get less than you're going to end up with like here's like some lots second of teams with, lots of teams would line up for him obviously and they sure say, yeah, well let's try to figure out how this is going to work right because it's jack eichel again same thing i don't think eichel is a terrible player i think he's a lot better than what he's doing He's getting paid $10 million. He's 24 years old. He's not old, per se. Same thing with Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall's 29. He feels like he's been around. Well, the he's been like, in the league for 11 years. He's been in the league forever. He feels old, but he's not old, per se. This team should be, you know, doing well, but they're they're not. So, at some point, you got to decide, are you, are you going to move these players? Or is something going to change? And if you... Do you want something to change? You can say, okay, we'll fire, you know, Kruger and we'll bring in somebody else and we'll see if this team gets progressively better or not. And then figure out in a short time span if we're going to keep players or if we're going to move them. But at this yeah. point, I think the best case, the best scenario for Buffalo would be to move on from Taylor Hall and just, I don't know, do whatever you can to keep Jack Eichel in Buffalo. Because if Eichel leaves, I mean, what is, what is left of this team, right? Right. I mean, the thing about Taylor Hall is that, like, he legit hasn't been good in, like, three years. 
Like he's still riding that like heart trophy from 1718. Uh and to, like man, like nine points, like his shooting percentage last year, eight point one percent, five point five the year before that, nine point seven the year before that. That's not a guy who's gonna score forty goals again, right? Like that was far and away. That was a fluke. Like that was a fluke kind of thing. Right. Yeah, that was like that was no different than that one year that Anze Kopitar had like 90 plus some yeah. odd points. You're like, okay, fine, but it didn't happen twice. But like Kop- he isn't Kopitar is a great player, but 90 point player, probably not. Like it it's basically taken him three years after that to hit 93 points again. Okay. <laughs> right? Like uh sorry, I excuse two years to to put that together because I'm seeing the last year New Jersey and Arizona as separate items, but they're not the same year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I think teams are going to try to make some moves. Um, I mean, certainly a team like Colorado has got to be like, uh, I'll, I'll take a goalie. Anyone got a goalie? Like Hunter Miska is just not an NHL goalie right now. Uh, I don't know what the timeline is on on Frank Hughes, but uh, he's missed so much time, and that team really needs a backup. And we saw them in the playoffs last year really struggle when they went. Uh, I think they lost what they lost Frank Hughes and Grubauer in the playoffs, and were like rolling out Michael Hutchinson, and uh, surprise, surprise, you didn't make it as far as you thought you you would. Um, but, I mean, they're definitely a team that could use a goalie. Uh, I think depending on how much longer, like, I don't know how much longer Robin Leonard's going to be out, but, I mean, the goal for Vegas was to not play Marc-Andre Fleury this much. I mean, he's played well. You can't deny that, but you do need a backup. Oscar Dansk didn't look good against San Jose. Um, so, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. Um but I do think it's going to be a longer period in which we, we see trades happen. So there's not going to be a big trade deadline day because uh, COVID just doesn't make that realistic right now. Uh, I think for the the Colorado Avalanche here, speaking of goalies that they could use, and I know, again, they're tied up against the cap here, and it's, it's definitely something that they need to think about. I think Thomas Grice in Detroit could probably be a really good option, or they could either consider Jonathan Bernier, who's, you know, his deal's coming up here. Um, Jonathan Bernier actually younger than Thomas Grice, which is like three years. Else. Yeah, something new, right? You learn something new every day. Thomas Grice does have a two-year deal here, so maybe the Colorado Avalanche entertained the idea of bringing Jonathan Bernier in if, you know, Frank Hoos doesn't work out. You could send Francis the other way as well yeah. if you wanted to and say, yeah. hey, look, take the kid and I mean, it's not a trade maybe you want to make, but, you know, Jonathan Bernier more than capable of being a really good backup, knows his spot, could give Grubauer the support that he needs. But for sure, for Colorado, they need a backup goalie or they need something to just kind of solidify that. And I think we'll see a lot more of these, you know, maybe not necessarily older goalies, but backup goalies, maybe, you know, find new homes here. Just so many teams are trying to find any kind of depth that they can get. It's really hard to acquire top talent, right, during the season. It's 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 hard to make that work. And in Detroit, right, they got a lot of pending UFAs coming up here. So 
you know, you're talking Sam Gagne, you're talking Luke Glendening, you know, Bobby Ryan as well. Uh, I mean, if Voltaire Filpula does anything for you and Darren Helm as well, <laughs> they're, you know, they're, they still have a pulse. Yeah. So, but again, D- Detroit's got a whole bunch of players on UFAs coming up here. We'll see how they decide to go that on defense. They have one defenseman signed past this season. Uh, and that's Danny DeKaiser. So, Again, lots of pieces here. I expect Detroit to be very, very active at that point and see just how much they can sell and to who they can sell it to. Yeah, Detroit will be interesting. I think L.A. could be really interesting, too, because uh, they both have cap space. And and in both cases, like Detroit can actually just buy bad contracts, right? Sure, I'll take on unique cap space to make another move we'll take on this player that's you've overpaid and you'll give us, you know, this prospect we really like, or you will give us like uh, some draft picks to, to help ease that pain a little bit. Um, they already have three picks in the second round of the yeah. draft coming up this year. So if they can start stockpiling some draft picks here, then maybe we'll see Detroit start to collect some players who can, you know, maybe help turn this franchise around one day. Yeah, and I mean, Colorado is an interesting cap situation as well um, because they just don't have anyone you can move, right? Like, there's just nothing there to move around because, like, Rantanen's at nine. McKinnon's only getting six right now, uh, possibly the best deal in hockey. Landis Cog's at 5.5. He's going to be a UFA. Brennan Sod's at five. He's going to be a UFA. Brennan Sod's not coming back. Spoiler alert. Uh, because Philip Grubauer is a, f- a free agent after this year, and he's only making three and a third uh, million dollars, and he's going to get paid more than that to to come back over any term. So, not um, to mention, uh, Kale McCarr is an RFA at the end of the season, so we're going to have to start finding some money <laughs> for him. Yeah, you, yeah. So he'd probably take up the sod money, or at least part of it. Uh, they're going to want to re-sign Landis Cog. I would think at least, but the money's probably not there. Um, so he's going to end up going somewhere else. So, but Colorado's not in a place to give up a player like that. Who's, uh, you know, a very quality defensive player can score, uh, as well. So, uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, looking forward to next week. So, um, taking a look at, Teams that are scoring and teams that are giving up lots of goals. Uh, teams that are scoring right now. Top five teams in order. Uh, the Rangers, Vegas, the Islanders, the Wild, and the Lightning. Um, Rangers are obviously a surprise here. Uh, I think that's mostly on the back of Chris Kreider. Uh, Mika Zabinijad did score today, so maybe there is still some hope there. Uh, you buying at all on the Rangers over the next three to, I suppose, the next seven days on the them continuing to score goals? I don't want to. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they didn't do much today against Pittsburgh, right? And, I mean, like you said, it's been a giant score goal. But, I mean, for the rest of the week here, they got Pittsburgh, Boston, Boston, and Philadelphia. So... I mean, I don't want to run into Boston and expect good things to happen. Pittsburgh played well today, which is, I guess, good to see. 
I just don't trust the Rangers. They're missing pieces here. That doesn't make them a better team either. I don't think they'll continue to score goals here. They beat New Jersey twice, and they scored six goals. And the Devils are just bleeding goals here, which obviously means that they only gave up zero to the Boston Bruins, right? Because it makes perfect sense here. But, you know, I, I don't want to buy the Rangers here. And for the rest of it, I mean, I think, right, seeing Vegas there is fine. The Islanders played Buffalo three times, so that makes sense. Minnesota Wild continue to do wild things by scoring goals, and Tampa Bay being good at that is just, you know, Tampa Bay being good at scoring goals. No no real shock here, but like you said here, the, the, the Rangers is kind of the, the odd one out here. The rest of the four teams, it kind of just, it seems to be a trend here. The Islanders are, like I said, are a really good team. They're... They're, they're getting scoring from all their lines. They're really, really balanced. They're very tough to play against. And I don't think that changes. I could see them repeating this multiple times during the season where they finish top five in goals in a week. Yeah. The Islanders are really interesting in the sense that, like, I remember people like Barzil, Lee, uh, Eberly, Nelson. Bailey, right? Like people severely discount um, Islanders players when it's like when it's time for your fantasy draft. People are like, like you were getting Barzil for like nothing. Like he was like a sixth or seventh rounder. He's got twenty two points in twenty five games. You're getting like Anders Lee, like well past that. Still, he's got twelve goals and eighteen points in twenty five games. He's got 78 shots in 25 games. Anders Lee is still a really good player. Um, so, like, I don't always understand these discounts. Uh, like, I get the style of play. I get the Islanders. Oh, the Islanders are boring. Like, everyone in it went out and bought the Rangers because the Rangers were exciting. The Islanders are boring. But, like, the Islanders are still scoring goals. The Islanders are still winning games. Um, and, like, you have... Their top four scores right now are all shooting under 20% and over 13%. That all sits somewhere in the realm of like sustainable. With the exception here being like, I don't think Jean-Gabriel Peugeot is going to continue to shoot 90%. Uh, but I mean, he is essentially like, if you play in leagues that give you points for shorthanded goals, uh, he's the guy. He's like, just... That's what he does. He scores shorthanded goals. Uh, did it in Ottawa. He's doing it again in New York. Um, I don't think he, like, 16 points in 25 games isn't crazy, but, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, shooting percentage is going to come down, but he's a career 11%. He could hold 19% for the rest of the year. That wouldn't, that absolutely wouldn't be crazy. So... Um, I think it's bold here, especially for the Islanders, right? Like you said, people just think the Islanders are boring and not good, and in reality, yeah. they're a really they're they're a really good team. They're a top the East division, yeah. and it's not really shocking. I had the Islanders making the playoffs to start with because they're you know they're well, well built. coached, yeah, and they're yeah they're coached to the way that this team is built, right? You don't think of any of these players as elite, right? I guess Barzell is very good, but is he an elite player in the NHL? Yeah. I don't think so. But they're, you know, they they make it work here. They have a plus 17 goal differential as well. The best in the division. They're 10-0-2 at home. They haven't lost in regulation. They, they struggle on the road, but that's fine, right? It's, you know, it, it is what it is here. 
they've won five games in a row. Again, they played Buffalo three times, so <laughs> no shock here. And of their 15 wins, they've all come in regulation as well. So they're not getting lucky where they're just winning games in overtime, uh, i.e. the Pittsburgh Penguins, who only have seven regulation wins. It's it's definitely something um, that they can bank on. I, I think the Islanders are a really good team. And I think whoever plays them in the playoffs, it's not going to be like, oh, we get the Islanders. Like, this is going to be an easy one. No, this that's probably going to be the toughest team that you have to beat because they're so well-built and they don't have a lot of holes in their offense, right? They're 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 very well-structured. I mean, Semyon Varlamov looks like a god in this you know, structure that he's playing yeah. with. He's been really good. And even at times where, I mean, he's come back down to earth a little bit, but that's that's normal. He was just floating so high at the beginning of the year. He, you know, he had to come back. And this, again, sticking with the East Division here, I mean, there's six teams that have a positive goal differential, which is massive here, massive, right? Now, again, they get to play New Jersey and Buffalo a lot, so that does help. But even small you know, goal differentials is still very positive for teams in here. You look at other divisions where there's a ton of teams that are, you know, in the negatives and whatnot. But this this division's a tough one. And I think the Islanders are more than capable of keeping up in it and continuing to be one of the better teams in it. Yeah, I, I think it's easily the best division in hockey. Like, I don't think it's all that close. Like, <laughs> you look at, like, the Islanders, the Capitals, the Bruins, the Penguins, and the Flyers, all those teams, I mean, you have two teams in your top four right now that are have 10 wins at home already, right? Like, the Islanders are essentially 10-2 and two at home. The Capitals are 7-5 and five at home. The Bruins are 6-3 and three at home. The Penguins are 10-2 and two at home. The Flyers are 6-5 and five at home. The Rangers are 5-8. and eight at home they're really rough start uh then you get to new jersey and, and buffalo and you hit like two and ten two and nine uh but new jersey has been good on the road they're six two and one so um yeah it's i mean it, it's it's a five it's five they're five deep the rangers aren't out of this at all uh should panarin come back i mean they're only six points out of a playoff spot uh with games in hand at least on pittsburgh a game in hand so you could see that as little as uh four points so yeah lots lots of things still to happen in uh the quote-unquote mass mutual east division uh we take a look at teams that are giving up the most goals over the last week and we have no surprises here san jose new jersey detroit anaheim buffalo New Jersey, Detroit, and Anaheim have all had spurts where they have been able to limit scoring. Um, but, I mean, San Jose is just going to have these weeks, right? They, they get weeks where they play Vegas and Colorado and goals aboard. Uh, they're going to be everywhere. Uh, they're going to ultimately be who decides DFS winners. I mean, I finished second in a in a GPP on Friday night. Uh Ultimately lost to somebody because the shark ultimate because um, Dansk gave up goals. Otherwise, uh, I probably would have won that one. But um, yeah, like whenever San Jose is playing, it's hard. They're almost impossible to avoid. Uh, New Jersey's been up and down. We've seen Mackenzie Blackwood 
kind of come back down to earth a little bit. Uh, Scott Wedgwood, though, did shut out the Bruins today. So uh, I don't know how long they're a team that I would bet on being in the bottom five. Uh, we've seen Detroit play well from time to time. We've seen Anna John Gibson uh, play well for the bulk of the first, uh, I guess we'll call it 40% of the year. Uh, and then Buffalo being Buffalo. We talked about Buffalo. So uh, anything else you want to you wanna add in on, on these teams that are giving up the most goals right now? Not really. They all fit into the narrative here. I mean, I think the only one who has a, the only team that has a decent chance of getting out of that bottom five is Anaheim. And that's because John Gibson can stand on his head and you know do what he can do. But even him, he he, he can't do it by himself, right? So yeah, we we might see Anaheim here repeat. I think Detroit is just maybe they get a little bit of an easier matchup here and whatnot. I expect the Devils to maybe correct themselves here a little bit. They're, they're a good team defensively. Again, I, I think Blackwood can help them as a lot uh, as well. I, I would Again, I wouldn't be surprised, like you said, if these teams kind of repeat here. San Jose will be a staple in this bracket here forever. I mean, they're just <laughs> they're just so bad. Like, I mean, Martin Jones got, what was he? he? He got lit up against Vegas early, and he hit the showers early, and Devin Dubnik came in, and he was no better. So, I mean, the San Jose Sharks are just probably one of the worst teams in hockey right now. Like, they have money tied to players who shouldn't be tied, Eric Carlson being one. Brent Burns is still viable, but he's not the Brent Burns that we thought he could be. Yeah. Uh, I mean, offensively, they got money tied up and, you know, some decent players, you know, Logan Couture and Evander Kane, but they're not terribly bad players. Timo Meyer as well, not terrible, but this team is just like they have no depth, right? You think of Mark Edward Vlasic as well. His contract yeah. is absolutely terrible. They can't move that. They got money tied up and they just don't know how to get rid of it. So this team might stink for a while. And for Buffalo, I mean, Buffalo keeps losing, right? That's how the Islanders got into the top five is because they played Buffalo a bunch. Yep. Buffalo just bleeds goals, man. They, they just don't play well defensively. It's Again, not that their defense is terrible. I think their goaltending is average at best, but it shouldn't be in the bottom you know, 10 of the league. I think it could hover in the middle somewhere where it just, you know, you're neither good nor bad. You're just meh, you know. Yeah. Just there. You just you just exist. You bring no positive but do no negative at the same time. That's what Boston that's what Buffalo as a team in general is, but uh we could probably see them here a lot, especially in the division that they're in, and they may get lit up multiple times per week here. The, the, there no team will be as bad as San Jose is because San Jose is on a whole other planet of terribleness, but I'm not surprised that uh, Buffalo is where they are, and they will probably, again, continue to be at that point. Just to put this into perspective a little bit here, right, with San Jose. Like, San Jose has given up 86 goals, which is quite a bit here, right? Detroit's given up 87, and we know how bad the Detroit Red Wings are. Um, nothing beats uh, Vancouver and Ottawa, though. Vancouver has given up 93 goals. Ottawa's given up 102. They the first team to make it to the Hundo Club here uh, of goals against in a season. But again, Ottawa plays in a division where defense is optional and offense is all that we care about. Uh, and the same thing here for, I mean, San Jose's got they they've only played 22 games, by the way, so they have. Four game, they have six games in hand on the Vancouver Canucks. 
So yeah, yes. they're going to make up those eleven goals and or six goals rather in a pretty short period of time. They should, but they could probably make up those six, seven goals in one game. Yeah, right. Yeah, if they're playing, they if they're playing give, Vegas or you know St. Louis or sort of slowly yeah. getting healthy. St. Louis, by the way, ten two and one on the road, um, absolute juggernaut on the road. Uh, Colorado, same thing as well. You know, their offense is lethal, even if they're missing some key parts. Minnesota, just, I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on there. Something's in the water well, there because they just. Kirill Kaprizov is what's going on there. So the, even the whole line, like even Matt Zuccarello, right? We talked about this last week. Like yeah. these guys are just, like they're just doing stuff. And that's wild, literally. Yeah. Right, no pun intended, but it's it's absolutely <laughs> crazy here. Uh, and even Los Angeles, Los Angeles has a decent top line, right? Dustin Brown is relevant again. Their second line just kind of hangs out there. Uh, Arizona and I, we can just kind of disregard them completely here in this conversation. But yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely something to watch San Jose play hockey. I'm excited every time I stack against them. Like I just like I get my iPad out. You know, I crack open a cold one. I got my popcorn. I'm like, hey, let's let's watch Martin Jones get lit up. And, you know, I'll be true. It happens every time, sometimes quicker than I think it will. But it's a gift that keeps on giving, right? San Jose's, yep. I feel like they're the course field. You just got to stack against them and good things happen. Yeah. I mean, Anaheim shouldn't be dismissed in this conversation. Like, they're the only, like, they've hit... So we've done gone through this bottom five list now for three or four straight weeks. Uh, they've been in this. They're the only team to hit this list for each of the last three weeks. Uh, maybe that's because San Jose had some COVID games, so they maybe they didn't play as much. But like when we like just looking at this over the last three weeks, we bring this back to Valentine's Day, and I'm just giving up three point six goals per game. That's the same as Detroit. Uh, that's. Oh, yeah. Like Ottawa is at three point eight. That's more or less the same. What is like? Yeah, but what does Anaheim do well? Uh, nothing. They put players on the ice. That that that's it. Because they don't score <laughs> goals, right? The Anaheim right. Ducks are not a team that scores goals. And in terms of giving up goals, I mean, they're 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 league average, which is wild to think about for a minute here, right? Like. Their league average, you would expect them to be a league average team. And that's not the case. Like, there are some teams behind them who are in a playoff spot and are giving up more goals per game, i.e. the team right behind them, the Chicago Blackhawks, right? Chicago Blackhawks giving up three goals goals against per game. And, you know, here they are second in their division. So I feel like the Anaheim Ducks, at least defensively, they're they're a decent team. They're decent. I mean, they rely on Gibson a lot, and that's just the nature of the beast at that point. This team just can't score goals. Yeah. They don't know that. I mean, the object of hockey is to put the little rubber thingy in the net, and I mean, Anaheim doesn't do that. They just they want nothing to do with it. Their power play is not good either. Right? Uh, so it's not the worst. I mean, there's it's at twenty percent. I mean, you look at Detroit special teams like in that I, same period. Detroit's at like scoring at like six seventeen percent, we'll say, and giving up goals on two third, like on one third of the power, like of their penalty kills. Yeah, they're. I mean, yeah, Detroit giving up goals that was kind of just, you know, yeah, on par with what they need to do here, right? They're just, they're just not a 
They're just not a good team, right? Yeah. And they're, Anaheim they're, is just what? Anaheim's 29th in shots for per game as well. So they're not generating any offense. They're not scoring goals. Their power play is not great either. So, again, there's only so much your goalie can do. They probably don't possess the puck well either, right? I don't think a lot of their players have a high course for either. So, again, if you're playing catch-up a lot, you're not generating offense, the other team spends a bunch of time in your zone, you're going to give up goals no matter how superhuman you want John Gibson to be. Yeah, I mean, everyone gets worn down at some point in time. Uh, But on that note, we should get out of here. Um, I already got the hate mail coming in from John. Uh, so, uh, have a great week, everybody. We'll see you in the chat, and uh, we'll be right back at this next week.